if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for being with us as we get rolling at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the 11th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. We are loaded today with very important guests. Going to talk about a lot of very important subjects. Coming up first at 9.35, we will be talking with uh, John Hayward. He is the Breitbart National Security Deputy Editor, and he's going to talk to us about well, what we're seeing play out before our eyes. Democrats embracing the four stages of ideological subversion. And that is what's happening. They are subverting our Constitution. They are subverting our uh, healthy, liberty-based republic um, with all kinds, of, um, all kinds of things that our founding fathers, of course, uh, never would have approved of. They are literally trying to undo the Constitution. Subversion is very, very plain to see when you look at it uh, carefully. John Hayward has, and he'll join us at 9.35 to talk about it. Coming up at 10.10, since it is Thursday, Dr. Everett Piper will be here. And I'm very much looking forward to talking to Dr. Piper about the attack on faith that has kind of uh, coincided, if you will, with this new ideological subversion. That's right. There is a little bit of um, symbiosis here between our first two guests, even though they don't know one another. So we're looking forward to that with uh, Dr. Piper. And then coming up at 1035, Patrick Wood, Executive Director of Citizens for Free Speech, will join us to talk about what we are going to talk about now at the top of the show. Free speech. It is beyond being under attack. Free speech is being torn asunder every single day because of political correctness based upon what is going on in this country, the insurrection that is happening in America right now today due to, I, I, I'm going to stop at some point saying due to the death of George Floyd, due to the murder of George Floyd, and yes, he was murdered. Nobody is arguing that. Nobody is defending that. Nobody, I mean, no one is, is, is disputing the horrendous treatment of George Floyd. But the idea that that means that the United States of America is indeed a racist nation is just insane. The idea that that means that the policing in the United States is systemically racist is beyond insane. So George Floyd's murder prompted what has prompted this. So I just want to be clear. There are steps here, right? 
George Floyd was murdered. That prompted riots. The riots prompted the insurrection that's going on right now. And oh yes, it is insurrection. There is a movement to disband and overthrow government in a free country. And it's starting in the same place, shockingly enough, or not, that the coronavirus, the Chinese coronavirus, started in America. That's right, up in the great Pacific Northwest, in Seattle, where patient zero in America was first diagnosed with the Chinese coronavirus, and it was not contained at that time. That's where the insurrection is centered as well. In Seattle, a seven-block area of the city has been cordoned off by anarchists, by Antifa, by Black Lives Matter, by just about every terrorist organization domestically that you can think of. And they have issued a list of demands, uh, among them that the far, far left mayor of Seattle, Washington, resign or be thrown out of office because she isn't in agreement that they need to abolish the Seattle Police Department. That's among a whole list of other things. But a city council member, a far left, isn't it funny how almost every single thing that happens negatively in this country can be preceded by a person on the far left did X, Y, Z, or whatever the case might be to make this happen. But a far left city councilman actually kind of unlocked the gates, if you will, to allow the, it was very well organized and planned, to allow throngs of anarchists to overtake the uh, uh, state capital, or not the state capital, excuse me, but the um, uh, uh, city uh, uh, council in, uh, in Seattle, Washington. And it is truly an insurrection. They have crossed off the name of the crossed off the uh, uh, names of buildings, even the police department. It now says the people's department. The the police are gone. And by the way, the police surrendered the precinct in that seven block uh, radius. They surrendered it peacefully. They didn't even fight. They didn't even fight to stop an an unbelievably you know lawless group of anarchists from taking over. Their precinct. I mean, they just surrendered. We have neutered police officers, at least in one city and state, and because this has been successful, what will be the second city to fall? It's kind of like, you know, the sacking of, of, of Rome or something, or the sacking of a city in a war. They literally have taken over a portion of that city, a large portion of that city, and met no resistance. How long before that has to be recaptured, and when it does, how much blood is going to be shed? So that's what's going on in Seattle, Washington, and we'll talk more about that as we go. Literally, a, a, a you know a an attempt to usurp power from the actual elected government, and uh, they are you know what it reminds me of. Anybody who uh, remembers reading in junior high or in high school, Lord of the Flies. It's kind of like that. They have set up, the children have taken over and set up their own government. And, of course, that is going to be just fine until there's a disagreement upon how to run it and who is in charge of it. And that's when, much like in the book, uh, the chaos will ensue and blood will be spilled. A lot of blood is going to be spilled in Seattle, Washington. All right. So that insurrection is going on, and it's in large part being being brought, uh, brought on by... 
uh, the death of free speech in America. There is an organization in Great Britain called the Free Speech Union. And they have put together a Twitter thread of no less than 20, uh, no, correction, 21 examples of people being fired or being punished in some way for not saying the right things about Black Lives Matter or about the movement in America. Or, and, and this is the worst part about it, saying nothing. That's right. People aren't just being punished, including losing their jobs, for not saying the right thing. They're being punished if they say nothing, because then they are viewed by the wild, radical anarchists, including Black Lives Matter, which is a very dangerous organization that is not out there to save black lives. It is out there to profit off of this chaos. But uh, if you don't say anything according to them, then you are complicit in the violence because you didn't speak out against it loudly enough. That's literally what is happening. There are people who are losing their jobs because they're not saying the right thing or they're saying nothing at all. Two nights ago on Fox News, on Tucker Carlson, uh, Tucker highlighted one example, one example of a person losing his job because of speech that didn't jive with the politically correct orthodoxy of the moment. Hear that story. Alexander Katai is a Serbian soccer player who, until the other day, played professionally for the Galaxy in Los Angeles. Last week, Katai's wife posted criticism online of the looters she was watching wreck Minneapolis. A lot of people felt that way. Katai's wife wrote in Serbian when she speaks, and yet someone noticed them anyway and then attacked her for writing them. She deleted the post very quickly, but it was too late. Now, we should be clear that her husband, the soccer player, may not even have known that she wrote the post. His wife was in Chicago when she wrote them. He was practicing with his team in Los Angeles, but it didn't matter. Protesters dutifully arrived at the stadium to call for his firing. So the management of the LA Galaxy forced Katai to apologize for his wife and then to denounce her, denounce his own wife. Then they made him endorse Black Lives Matter, which he did, and then they fired him anyway, and then they attacked him on his way out. That's one small example of a list that I'm going to share with you after this timeout of 21 examples of people in America. This is a Serbian, but who plays for the Los Angeles Galaxy, so he lives in America. And you heard the story. His wife posted something that was critical, of the looters, and that means that she is racist, and that means that she is not down with the cause of Black Lives Matter. And so since she is irrelevant, his her husband's employer, the Los Angeles Galaxy, held him responsible for her lack of wokeness. And you heard the rest. Fired him, uh, or excuse me, uh, made him denounce his wife, made him apologize for something she wrote, which, by the way, shouldn't have been apologized for at all, because you should be critical of looting. It's a crime. It's a violent crime that hurts a lot of people. A lot of people are damaged when looting and destruction of stores happens. But they made him apologize for her actions, made him denounce her publicly, made him profess his support for Black Lives Matter publicly, and then, once he did all those things, fired him anyway. He was canceled. He's a victim of the cancel culture that the left has put in place in this country, which is part of the insurrection that we are seeing in Seattle right now. I'll give, I've got a lot more on this for you coming up on AM 1420, The Answer.
922 now. I want to share with you, as I promised uh, before the break, I want to share with you um, just uh, uh, several examples, in fact, not just a few, but several examples of people losing their jobs or losing their roles in their companies or being demoted or being placed on leave, all for expressing opinions that the prevailing orthodoxy finds offensive. In other words, for exercising their freedom of speech. This is not how this is supposed to go in a free country governed by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. This is not how it's supposed to work. But if you speak freely and somebody decides I'm offended by that, now you can be fired thanks to the liberal progressive cancel culture created in the United States. Example number one. Grant Napier, play-by-play uh, uh, voice and radio host in Sacramento, California, fired by the radio station from his show that he's held for 30 years and resigned as the Sacramento Kings play-by-play announcer that he has done for nearly 30, all because he tweeted in response to a question, what do you think of Black Lives Matter? His response was, all lives matter, every single one. Gone, because he was insensitive to the moment. Gordon Klein a professor at UCLA, has been placed on leave and is now under police protection due to threats after he refused to cancel a final exam at UCLA following George Floyd's death. In other words, because he dared to make people take the exam they were supposed to schedule in California, or supposed to take in California. And he made them do this despite the fact that some people might be upset about something that happened in Minneapolis. He is now on leave and is fighting for his job. Stu Peters, a Manx radio presenter, in other words, a talk show host like me, he's in Britain, has been suspended after he challenged the concept of white privilege in a debate with a caller on his show. And that's a debatable issue, of course. It's been debated online and on radio for a long time. Now you get fired for having the debate, at least if you're on the wrong side of it. Martin Shipton, chief reporter at the Western Mail, forced to step down as a judge in the Wales Book of the Year judge, uh, or excuse me, uh, Wales Book of the Year competition, after he complained that the Black Lives Matter protest in Cardiff, Wales, broke the Welsh government's social distancing rules. So in other words, the guy said, you know, these protests are only causing more problems with the virus because they're not social distancing, and he has been forced to step down from his position. Uh, how about the op-ed editor of the New York Times, who had to resign after being heavily criticized by left-wing co-workers for publishing an opinion piece by Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton, who called for the U.S. Army to be used as backup in American cities to maintain law and order. Now, I wholly disagree with the New York Times on just about anything and everything. But the op-ed writer, or op-ed editor, rather, of the New York Times did something right here. He allowed Tom Cotton to express his freedom of speech and to write what he thinks ought to be done in the United States to regain order in our in our cities of carnage. So I support the New York Times editor for a change, and what happens? The New York Times fires that guy or forces his resignation. Stan Wisnowski, top editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer, has been forced to resign because he let a headline go in an article in the paper about buildings being destroyed in the riots. And the headline said, Buildings Matter Too. Gone. You're fired. That's insensitive. 
These are examples of First Amendment violations, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and in that case, freedom of the press to write what the press wanted. Cancel culture destroyed his life and his job. And by the way, Buildings Matter too is a pretty good headline, because it's not the building, of course, that we're talking about. It is the scores of people, when buildings are destroyed and businesses are destroyed, that work for these businesses and in those buildings who are now forced to go on unemployment and seek assistance from the state, because their jobs have been taken away from them due to the looting, the rioting, the vandalism, the destruction, the smashing, the arson. He's right. Buildings do matter because they matter to people. He got fired. Hundreds of poets are calling for the president of the U.S. Poetry Foundation, something I'm not terribly familiar with, to be fired because uh, its statement last week said it stands in solidarity with the black community and denounces injustice and systemic racism. But it didn't go far enough. You understand that? This is what I was talking about in the open. It's not just what you say. If you don't say anything or don't say enough of the right thing, they want you gone. Cancel culture for the president of the U.S. Poetry Foundation. You're, you're, we want you gone. We want you fired because you didn't go far enough. What, what's far enough? He said he stood with the black community, did, denounced injustice and systemic racism. But what else was he supposed to say? Students at Cornell Ivy League School are demanding that chemistry professor David Collum be fired because he tweeted that an incident in Buffalo in which a Black Lives Matter protest, you probably remember the tall 75-year-old man who was pushed as police were clearing a square that they were told to clear and hurt his head, he tweeted that it was not an example of police brutality. His opinion. Apparently, having opinions is now fireable in the United States. They want him gone. UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, has launched an inquiry after students complained about a white politics lecture. A U.S. Air Force veteran read aloud Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail that included the N-word. The lecture was about the history of racism. He quoted Dr. King from his letter from a Birmingham jail, and now they want an inquiry at UCLA as to how this white lecture, or a lecture rather given by a white um, a U.S. Air Force veteran, uh, could be allowed to happen. I can go on, and I'll, just a couple more before the bottom of the hour. The editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit, Adam Rappaport, has resigned after a piece he wrote genuflecting to Black Lives Matter was judged to be insufficiently pious by his staff. Think about that. Again, you said some, some good things, but not enough of them. You're gone. Back across the pond now, as mentioned, the BBC has removed Little Britain from the BBC iPlayer because of sketches involving the wearing of blackface. Now, nobody defends blackface, but again, do people get fired for artistic representations of that? Heck, we have a governor in the state of, uh, uh, of uh, Virginia, Ralph Northam, who wore it for his high school yearbook, and he's still on the job. I guess it's selective as to whether or not that's horrifically offensive, isn't it? D. Wynn fired from MTV's The Challenge after posting online, people die every blanking day, end quote, in response to a Black Lives Matter protest. Of course, that's fact, and more people died during the protests. You point that out, though, you're fired. 
Claudia Eller, editor-in-chief of Variety magazine, has been forced to take administrative leave after snapping back when a person of color criticized her self-flagellating article about the lack of diversity at Variety for being insufficiently pious. Again, somebody saying what is believed to be the right thing in the cancel culture, but not going far enough. And then there's people like Paul Krugman. Leading economists, including Krugman at the New York Times, are calling for Harold Ulig, a professor of economics at the University of Chicago, to be fired as editor of the Journal of Political Economy because he dared to criticize the Black Lives Matter movement. My friends, free speech is under... I mean, I can't just say under attack as if... uh, I mean, it's literally being assaulted and and it is... It's losing the war. People are losing their jobs and their ways of life because they aren't able to to offer free speech. The First Amendment has been shredded, and it's only picking up steam. We're going to talk more about that as we continue. News time now, AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 936, we continue, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us this morning. Progressive ideology always rests on a conviction that the current regressive system is comprehensively unjust and must be destroyed by exploiting its weaknesses. The most famous proponent of such tactics in recent years has been the late Saul Alinsky, the intellectual godfather of the modern Democrat Party. But former Soviet journalist and KGB informant Yuri Bezmenov if I'm saying that correctly, laid out an even more concise strategy for, for subversion in a 1984 interview. Those are the words of John Hayward. John Hayward, writing for Breitbart. He is the Breitbart National Security Deputy Editor, joins us now to talk about this on AM 1420, The Answer. John, thanks for the time. How are you? Oh, very good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. This is really eye-opening. I think a lot of people, uh, many especially conservative radio listeners like this audience, understand who Alinsky was and what the 13 rules for radicals were. But uh, Besmanov, may, this may be a new uh, concept for them. Four stages of ideological subversion. Um, so, John, what I want to do is just give the name of each of the stages, and I want you to tell us all about them and what that means. Um, and the first one, again, articulated by Yuri Bezmenov, was demoralization. John Hayward, what are we talking about? Well, demoralization is the very long, very difficult process of setting the stage for the rest of the strategy. It takes decades, and according to Bezmenov, it was pretty much complete in the United States as of the mid-1980s. And I think you could say that after he said that, we perhaps had a little bit of a reversion. The Reagan years, much that happened afterwards, undid the demoralization effect, and then it was resumed in earnest after that. And I think you can look out your window or read the news today and see the effects of that process being complete. Demoralization is basically teaching your kids, teaching young people, to hate their country. They hate America. They hate its history. They think there's nothing worth defending. The whole country is steeped in slavery, yada, yada, yada. All the stuff that you see, all these activists yelling and screaming at their protests and riots, is the result of of a deliberate campaign of demoralization. And the goal is to teach them to lose so much faith in their country and their system that they think there's nothing about it worth defending. It's all rotten. It all has to go. And they'll sign up with any revolutionary movement that tells them that's what we're going to do. We're going to burn it all down, and we're going to rebuild society and they say yep that's what has to happen 
John, in your uh, piece for Breitbart on this, you point out uh, the 1619 Project. You highlight that. And it's funny, I was watching an interview last night with Spike Lee, who's wearing a 1619 cap, and he and several others in the BLM movement are are, are championing the New York Times uh, uh, profile, and they argue that 1619 was the actual year, the arrival of black slaves in North America, that was the actual birth of America, and that the Revolutionary War that we all know as the birth of America wasn't fought for liberty from England. It was fought to preserve slavery. Slavery. Um, it's been debunked by noted historians uh, all over the country, and maybe maybe beyond that. But is that not what we're talking about? Teaching kid, and this is being taught by the way to New York school children. Uh, the, the moment this came out, the sixteen nineteen project, what would do a better job of making young people hate their country than to actually convince them their country was created to preserve uh, the horrors of slavery? Exactly right. The 1619 Project is pure weaponized demoralization. It's not true. The author admitted it's not true after historians tore it to pieces, but they still teach it to your kids in school. Because the important thing is for your kids to learn to hate the country and think it's all garbage and the whole country's been evil from the get-go and it was evil hundreds of years before the Revolutionary War was fought and it all has to be torn down. The whole old order and everybody in it has to go. That's what a demoralized population looks like. We're talking about the four stages of ideological subversion uh, highlighted by John Hayward at Breitbart, but uh, championed by uh, uh, Russian journalist um, uh, Yuri Bezmenov back in 1984. Stage two is destabilization. Tell us about that. Well, if demoralization means teaching the kids to hate the country and raising a generation that doesn't like their own history, then destabilization is when you lose faith in one another. That's when the population is taught to hate each other, to mistrust each other, to see everybody else as a predator, you're a victim, everybody's out to get you, and only by organizing politically and fighting for your little tribe can you have any hope of of success, of prevailing. And that, again, is what you see outside your window right now. This is the de- stabilization ethic that you can only riot that you have to burn down cities and stage protest marches and be a victim and yell that everybody's out to get you and only by political triumph can you possibly hope to secure and safeguard your interests you don't trust your neighbor anymore you hate those guys they hate you you think they hate you they're out to get you everybody's out to get everybody else that is an atmosphere of destabilization and if you wanted to come up with one modern slogan that would encompass pure weaponized destabilization it would be abolish the police. That's the purest expression of that concept that you could possibly come up with. We're going to get rid of the police entirely and leave everybody at the mercy of predators. We'll turn everything into Mad Max, a wasteland, by getting rid of the police. That is destabilization. And as you can see, that part is complete as well. We're already up to the next stage. Before we get to the next stage of crisis, let's talk about uh, the destabilization and the calls for abolishment of police. And, and, and literally in Seattle right now, it has worked. They forced a precinct to uh, to uh, essentially flee. A precinct has been taken over by anarchists who are running essentially a seven-block area of Seattle right now, a very prominent and important area uh, in that city. And the officers in the precinct surrendered uh, occupation of the precinct peacefully. Uh, they did not want to fight back, and as such, they have now changed the name of it to the People's Department instead of the Police Department. They're practicing, by the way, stop and frisk <laughs> while they're there, uh, which is something that they that they they screamed and opposed in New York City and in other places. But they literally are saying anybody who is not a familiar face, stop them, check them for weapons, find out what they're doing here. So, is this the, is this more destabilization, or is, does this move us into stage three, which is crisis? 
Right. Well, this, it's both. This is destabilization in practice. This is what a destabilized population looks like. Mm-hmm. And notice the key element of this in Washington. The Democrat mayor and the Democrat governor are completely, totally, utterly useless. They're completely uninterested in stopping this or doing anything about it. They're basically telling the people caught in this anarchist war zone, you're on your own, folks. We're not going to do a thing about this. The governor, who one of the more useless governors in the country, is spending all day screaming that this is all Donald Trump's fault. <laughs> That's his entire response to a gang of left-wing anarchists taking over a city. It's the orange man's fault. Orange man bad. That is destabilization in its purest form. You, your, your own government in Seattle and Washington is completely useless to you. It will not lift a finger to protect you. And the irony of that is the mayor of Seattle essentially is in agreement with everything that they are standing for and everything they have taken over for. Far left progressive mayor, but because she won't call for specifically the uh, abolition of police, she agrees with almost everything that they stand for. She hasn't gone far enough. And if she, until she goes that far, they want her to resign anyway. So it's weird. They're, they're actually willing to get rid of one of their own allies because that ally is not quite radical enough. Um, and I'm guessing that's what's creating what we're going to get into now, which is stage three crisis we are seeing a nation in crisis and have been for the last two and a half weeks and the point of this crisis is that it has to be politically controlled manipulated and weaponized you need a big crisis that terrifies everybody that that causes panic and chaos and that hits the system like a brick you know that really hits its stress points and threatens to tear the system apart and i think this particular crisis is a double whammy this is the pandemic crisis that we've all been going through for months followed by this period of unrest that's happening right now. The pandemic unquestionably made this much worse and made it much more difficult to deal with it or respond to it, and it left the people in the rest of the country feeling demoralized and helpless. If you're not a rioter, if you're just a normal person trying to live your life and you don't want to protest or anything, what are you supposed to do right now? Where do you turn for security? Where do you turn for any sense that life is going to be better at any point in the future? It seems like everything has broken down and it's all gone mad all around. You. And that is very frightening to normal people. It, it demoralizes them. It makes them feel like they'll, they'll vote for whoever comes along on a white horse and is ready to rescue them from this. And that, that's a really dangerous state of affairs to be in. I think the worst crisis to come, and we might be teetering on the edge of it right now, is if they tell us the coronavirus is back. And you look at the news, you can see a few reports out there. After a week of not caring at all about the coronavirus, the media basically waved their hands and said, presto changeo, abracadabra, coronavirus over, go out and protest, burn down a street, whatever you want to do, it's all fine. Don't worry about that virus. Your politics are more important than any stupid old virus anyway. So they've been saying that for a week, two weeks now. And then all of a sudden, the stories are coming back in the news. Coronavirus surge. It's getting worse. There's more cases everywhere. That is going to lead to loud demands for another lockdown coming in a couple of weeks, and it will be the fault of these protesters that it's as bad as it is. They're going to super spread this virus like you wouldn't believe. We're going to be told we need another lockdown, and at that point, I think the whole country comes apart. I think that is the crisis that will blow us to pieces because there will be widespread disobedience across the land. If they order another lockdown, a lot of people in the orderly states that aren't packing the streets with protesters are going to say, no, I'm not going back under house arrest because of what those people did. Of course, those states will still be impacted by the states that do because of travel, interstate travel or interstate travel and uh, and and uh, business that can't be conducted by states that are essentially shut down and businesses that are shut down. We're talking to John Hayward. Uh, and before we get to stage four, John, um, I, I want to talk about the the coronavirus spike that is coming. 
it, it will be because of the protesters, but they will not blame the protesters. And what they will blame is what President Trump has just announced. The rallies start again next week. He's going to have one in Tulsa. I think he's got four or five of his campaign rallies scheduled, or they're going to be there, and they're going to be shoulder to shoulder, and they're going to be screaming, uh, make America great again and keep America great. And suddenly the coronavirus is a threat again. It's not a threat as long as you're protesting uh, systemic racism in America, but it's going to be a threat if you get together with Donald Trump and his friends. It's a perfect example of a crisis making instability so much worse. When they do that, a lot of people are going to say, we don't trust the experts anymore. You, you guys actually signed letters, hundreds of epidemiologists signed letters that said, don't worry about that stupid little virus. Go out and have your Black Lives Matter protest. So nobody trusts them anymore. Everybody knows they're political actors, not scientists. So nobody's going to trust whatever they say. And then people who want to attend a Trump rally will say, oh, this is ridiculous. You can't suddenly come back and invoke the coronavirus to tell us we can't have a peaceful rally while you that it was okay to go out and have a violent riot. You know, they're, they're going to deeply resent that and view it as an attempt to oppress them. And if there really is a new wave of coronavirus brewing out there and it really does get worse, it's going to be impossible to control it. That, that's the purest example of what Besmanov was talking about, the KGB's plan to destroy a society with a crisis. We are not quite to the fatal crisis yet, but it's right around the corner if we have another coronavirus wave. John Hayward is our guest. John Hayward is uh, the Breitbart National Security, um, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm fl- flicking on the full title again. Apologies for that. Uh, hold, hold the music for just a second, if you would, Andrew, because I want to get the last point of this in, uh, and or the last stage, rather, that John has been talking about, and that is normalization. Uh, at what point are we supposed to accept what is going on right now, all of the stages that you just mentioned, and accept this as the new normal in America? That's what the fourth stage will be, the offer to give you your life back. And you hear that explicitly from Democrat politicians right now. They're leveraging the riots, the unrest, the activists for their own political gain. And they're going to tell you, vote for us and you can have your normal life back. Give us power and all this will stop. We'll make the riots stop. We'll bring social justice with a wave of our hands. The bad orange man will be gone. If you give us power, it's blackmail. It's pure and simple. It's blackmail. But it's how it works. And the KGB felt it was the best way for them to subvert and overthrow a country, to create a crisis after destabilizing it and then say, well, I guess we'll just bring some tanks in and Mother Russia will fix all your problems for you. And at that point, the people said, yay, you know, they, they didn't resist. They welcomed the occupiers was the theory because they're going to bring order back to an unstable world. On a larger scale, I think this is setting up communist China to do that to the Western world, to offer itself as a more stable political model than the U.S. And believe me, they're saying it in exactly those words right now. Chinese media is filled with editorials making exactly that point, that they offer stability in the U.S. is unstable. But for you and me, for us domestically, the offer is going to be vote Democrat and we will make the horror end. And if you don't vote Democrat, this goes on. That That is going to be the way that you're told to vote in November. John, Yuri Bezmanov is dead, uh, died in the 90s, I think. Uh, so he's not running this. Uh, I don't know that Putin is running this, even though this is, you know, Russian ideological subversion. Who's running this? Who's the we that's 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 capitalizing and forcing us into these four stages? Well, their protégés, of course, the American left, the academic left, the thought leaders of the Democrat Party are the ones running this. They studied all this stuff in the 80s. They didn't look at this as a warning. They looked at this as a battle plan. They loved this idea. And this is deeply rooted in academia. They have carefully studied how left-wing movements have overthrown governments around the world and how it was done successfully and determined to use those strategies themselves. That's what Saul Alinsky was all about. Rules for radicals, which you mentioned earlier, you could see that as a set of tactics to accomplish the 
strategy that Bezmenov and the KGB laid out for overthrowing a society. And also, they're going to make sure you can't overthrow them. Once they come to power, they will reverse all of this and prevent you from ever disrupting their power. And you can see that right now in this wave of censorship, of political correctness, of, of inquisition that's going on around the country. There's a reason that they're controlling your speech and telling you what you can't joke about and can't say and, and books you can't read anymore and people that have to be canceled. This is them working backwards and saying nobody will do this to our regime. Once we're in power, nobody will destabilize us. Nobody will destroy us with a crisis. They know exactly what they're doing and then they're following the strategy to a t it's so important for all americans to learn the strategy understand what is happening to them so that they can push back against it uh, again it's at breitbart uh, um, democrats embrace the four stages of ideological subversion the writer is uh, breitbart national security deputy editor deputy editor is the part i flicked on before john hayward john terrific uh explanation thank you so much for making us aware of this and i appreciate your time well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. 952, right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Now we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, thanks again to John Hayward. Don't forget, coming up, at 1010, uh, Dr. Everett Piper will be with us. Our normal Monday guest is Congressman Jim Jordan. Yesterday, uh, he had a very, very important job to do as he was, um, of course, as the ranking member of the judiciary uh, in the uh, House committee that was hearing uh, discussion of policing in America, race in America, and had all kinds of important guests, including Pastor Daryl Scott from Cleveland. But Congressman Jordan made a very impassioned speech about the insanity of defunding police because of the actions of a police officer who's facing murder charges in Minneapolis. The people of this great country, you know what else they understand? You know what else they get? They understand that there is a big difference, a big difference between peaceful protest and rioting. There is a big difference between peaceful protest and looting. There is a big difference between peaceful protest and violence and attacking innocent people. And there is certainly a big difference between peaceful protest and killing police officers. You know what else they get? You know what else the American people fully understand? They know, as the chairman said, the vast, vast majority of law enforcement officers are responsible, hardworking, heroic first responders. They're the officers who protect the Capitol, who protect us every single day. They're the officers who rushed into the Twin Towers on 9-11. They're the officers in every one of our neighborhoods, in every one of our communities, Every day, every night, every shift they work, who put their lives on the line to keep our communities safe. And guess what Americans also get? Guess what else they understand? They know it is pure insanity to defund the police. And the fact that my Democrat colleagues won't speak out against this crazy policy is just that frightening. Think about what we've heard in the last few weeks heard the mayor of our two the mayors of our two largest city mayor garcetti said he wants to defund the police the mayor of new york says he wants to defund the police the city council in minneapolis the veto-proof majority says they want to defund the police and abolish the department this congress started off with the democrats folks on the left saying we should abolish ice then move to we should abolish the entire department of homeland security and now they're talking about abolishing the police this is wrong and the american people know it's wrong we should honor the memory of George Floyd, 
and work hard so that nothing like it ever happens again. And we should honor the memory of Dave Patrick Underwood and work hard so that nothing like that ever happens again. A week and a half ago, our mission was clearly stated. Eleven days ago in Florida, the President of the United States clearly stated what our mission should be. President Trump said this, I stand before you... And uh, we have to cut it there, unfortunately, because of time. But that's Congressman Jim Jordan yesterday speaking before this House panel uh, as they discuss police brutality and policing in America. And the calls by the far left to indeed defund, if not flat out abolish the police. You take that argument and apply it to what we just heard from our guest about the um, uh, about the way to deconstruct a society, a free society, about the manners uh, that are the... Uh, uh, a process used to ideologically subvert a free country. And you will see some of those elements right there. It is part of the demoralization and the destabilization, taking advantage of a crisis, and then, yes, making that the new normalization. Dr. Everett Piper joins us next right here.